Good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. It's a great honor to be here with you again this morning. This is now my third week uh, sharing the word with you. And I just want to continue to extend my thanks to the elders of this church for inviting me and to you all for welcoming me and uh, sharing, partaking with me in the hearing of God's word. It is truly a joy to be with you again, and it is an honor to be with you. Many of you have been able to notice that during this time, we've been asking questions of God. That's a series that we've been going through, questioning God, looking to Scripture for life's tough questions. During our first week together, I asked the question, is God really good? And assuming you were here and assuming that you were convinced of God's goodness, we then turned to ask another question of God, and we asked Well, even if God is good, is it any good for us to be good? We walk through the life of Asaph, the experience of Asaph, and we came to find out that, yes, it is good for God's people to honor him, but sometimes it's difficult to see that until we come before God and receive some instruction from him. Our life's perspective changes. Well, today I want to ask another question to God, another question on our behalf. I want to ask God, or of God, what is his plan when things aren't going well? Asked another way, we might say, what in the world is God up to? That's the question that I want us to consider today as we open up the Word in Genesis chapters 40 through 41. Before we begin our time together, would you bow your heads again in a word of prayer as we await God's help and word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your ministry to us. But Lord, we come with expectation this morning. We come expecting a word from you. Not a word from me, but a word from you. So, Lord, would you humbly an- or would you answer our humble request? Would you come and speak to us this morning? Would you bring a word to us that might be a word of comfort, a word of hope, and perhaps even a word of direction? We thank you, O oh God, for your goodness and for your active presence in our lives. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The first time I saw her do it, I was appalled. My wife and I were sitting there reading, and I watched in horror as she put a bookmark in its place in the middle of the book and then turned several chapters to the last chapter of the book and read the ending. I looked at her and said, Meredith, What are you doing? And she said nonchalantly, what? I'm reading the ending of the story. And I said to her, why are you doing that? You're going to ruin it. And she then said to me, how else will I know if the ending is worth it? If this book is worth my time, unless I find out what the ending is. I couldn't believe it. 
The girl who had stolen my heart was also a literary thief, stealing the end of the story before it was ready to be received. It's taken a few years now, but I sort of get it. Not the reading strategy. I will never accept such appalling actions. But as a strategy for life, I get the appeal. Think about it. If you could skip ahead a few chapters from time to time to see where life is going, to find out where the, hen- where the ending is heading, I think you and I would be able to get behind that strategy. There have been moments in my life, perhaps moments even in your life, when we wish we could skip ahead just a month or two to find out whether the ending is to our liking. Moments that feel like tests of faith or exercises in perseverance. Moments where I can't see where the next step is. It is in those moments I wish I could see where things were heading. You ever wish you could see the end of a difficult situation? Some of you are experiencing difficulty right now. Do you ever wish you could see the end? You ever wish you could see ahead just a little bit to make sure that you would make it out all right? To see if it worked out for good or if you were still going to be in that same dark place? I don't think it's too much to ask. I don't even know if I need the full picture. I just want a glimpse, a bit of information, some kind of insight to give me the assurance I need to know that God is still under control. When it feels like you've been searching in the dark, any tiny bit of light feels like just enough to see you through. Our story today serves as a bit of light for all of us who are in the need of insight. Just a little bit of light for those of us who feel as though we've been searching in the dark. It's a story that gives us insight into the very mind of God, revealing to us what in the world he is up to. So if you closed your Bible or if you didn't turn there, would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40? The book of Genesis chapter 40. It shouldn't take too long. It's there in the first uh, section of your Bibles. But there in Genesis chapter 40, uh, we will find the story of Joseph. Joseph is a familiar character for many of us. Uh, You'll remember Joseph uh, is the great-grandchild of Abraham, the father of the Israelite people. And his own father, Jacob, had many children, 12 sons and a daughter. And Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. Some of you might recall that. But, as you might expect, his older brothers did not take too kindly to that favoritism. And so, during one exchange, Joseph went out in the field to meet his brothers And his brothers devised a plan to overtake him and to sell him into slavery. And they did. Not before long, Joseph finds himself in Egypt, in a strange place. 
And yet, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. It's a strange phrase that keeps coming up again and again in Joseph's narrative. Joseph is there. He finds himself in the house of a very wealthy man, a very powerful man. And Joseph rises up in the ranks and ends up overseeing the whole household. You might remember how that story goes, though. It turns out that this wealthy, powerful man's wife was interested in Joseph and tried to seduce Joseph. Thankfully, we might expect Joseph was an honorable man, a man full of integrity, and rejects this, woman, this woman's uh, request and says, no, I cannot do this thing. So this woman goes to the authorities and lies about Joseph, and Joseph finds himself in prison. Despite his faithfulness to God, despite his integrity, he is imprisoned. And yet the Bible tells us that even there in prison, even there serving an unjust sentence, the Lord is with Joseph. He is put in charge over all of the prisoners. And at the first part of chapter 40, it says, some time after this. That is some time after all of those events. But I don't want you to focus on the after this. That is, uh, the after uh, those things that we have just summarized. I want you to, play, to put your finger on the first part of that phrase. Some time. I want you to pay close attention to the time markers of this story. Right here in verse 1, the story begins by looking at the clock. You don't have a clock up here. That's probably a good thing for the preacher. But imagine there were a big clock behind me. And the story begins by saying, look at the time. A lot of time has gone past. After some time had passed, two officials in Pharaoh's court, were thrown into prison. These two men were important kitchen staff. The cupbearer prepared and selected most of what the Pharaoh drank and perhaps even tasted the drinks before Pharaoh himself took a sip. The chief baker, his title would suggest, was in charge of all of the baked goods in Pharaoh's court. This also was a very important job. But for some reason, these two men find themselves thrown into prison. We're not sure what the backstory was. We're not sure what suspicions these men came under. But we can assume that the Pharaoh was concerned that something was happening in his court that threatened his well-being. Or perhaps just on a whim, he decided, I don't want these men serving me anymore, so I'm just going to throw them into prison. Pharaoh had that kind of power in Egypt. And so these men find themselves in prison, and as you might expect, these men were not too happy about it. They were depressed. And Joseph's responsibility, it seems, was to serve these men. And so I can imagine Joseph is coming in one morning, finds his new prisoners, and he comes in ready to serve them breakfast. He lays the food there in front of them. And the two men don't say a word. They don't even look up at Joseph to acknowledge his presence. And so Joseph, seeing their state, seeing their disposition, asks them, 
Why are you in such a bad mood? Why are you depressed? Well, apparently, these two men had dreamed some dreams the night before. They had been in prison, and each of them had dreamed a dream. And I don't know how you dream, but my dreams are often confusing and nonsensical. But these two men dream very vivid dreams. And it was apparent to these two men that their dreams had meaning, perhaps offered insight into what was happening in their life. But they had no idea how to interpret these dreams. And so because they were lost, because they were confused, because they were without any sense of what might take place next, they were depressed. And they say to Joseph as much, we have dreamed these dreams, but we have no insight. We have no idea what these dreams mean. There is no one to interpret them. They were in the dark. It was as if they had been given an incredible gift, but lacked the ability, lacked the necessary tools to open up that gift. They had received insights, knowledge, but didn't have the means to understand what they had seen. And Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. What did Joseph know that these men did not? He knew God. And because he knew Yahweh, the one true God, he believed God to give him insight and understanding. But more importantly, he knew that he was a servant of Yahweh. His response is simple and yet remarkable. The interpretation of your dreams belongs to God. Yes, of course, but when, what does he tell these men to do? He says, tell them to me. I will serve to you as a servant of Yahweh. I have intimate access to God so that when you share your dreams with me, it is as if God himself is hearing your dream and is going to interpret them for you. So the chief cupbearer spoke first, and he told Joseph his dream. I dreamt that there was this vine in front of me, he says, and on the vine there were three branches. And then very quickly I saw signs of life in the branches. They had buds then blossoms, and then a cluster of ripe grapes. And I saw myself in the dream reach out to these grapes. And then I put Pharaoh's cup into his hand. I took the grapes and I pressed them into his cup. And when it was filled, I placed that cup full of the juice of the vine into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to the chief cupbearer, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. And in three days... Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You will be restored there to the side of Pharaoh, and you will be the one who gives Pharaoh his cup, because you will once again be his cupbearer. And when you are restored in your place, let me just ask you something. Please, remember me, for I am here unjustly. When Pharaoh lifts you up, just remember me. Don't forget me. The chief baker heard the interpretation and was encouraged by the positive report. And he knew that his own dream sounded much like the dream of the cupbearer. So he says, uh, Joseph, could you listen to my dream too? 
And so the baker tells his own dream. He says, I dreamt that I had three cake baskets on my head. And all my baskets were all of the breads that the Pharaoh loves to eat. Uh, they were beautiful. They were really well baked. And there they were on my head, and I, I was walking somewhere, and these birds kept coming to the top of my baskets, and they kept eating from the top basket. Tell me, Joseph, when will I also be raised up to the side of Pharaoh? Joseph looks at the baker and says, well, this is your interpretation. These three baskets also signify three days. On the third day, your own head will be raised from you. You will be hanged. Your life will be taken from you. We're not sure how the baker responded to this interpretation. Whether he said, ah, what does this guy know? He's in prison here with us. Or whether he was again depressed, counting down the days until the interpretation might come true. What we do know is that on the third day, it all happened just as Joseph, Joseph had said. Pharaoh threw a special feast in celebration of his birthday, and he invited all of his servants, and he even called the chief cupbearer and the baker out of prison. The cupbearer, he replaced back into his position. He honored him. He esteemed him. But the baker, he hung, just as Joseph had said. Joseph had truly received insight and wisdom. It was as if he had been invited into the counsel of God and was able to hear the unfolding of history. And yet, despite his remarkable insight and his incredible work, he remained in prison. The last verse of chapter 40 says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Despite his insight, despite his good skill, he remained where he was in his difficult situation. I want to say that to some of us here. There are some of us here who have been faithful to God, who have persevered, who have sought God's wisdom, and yet we still find ourselves in difficult circumstances. It happens that sometimes faithfulness does not equal an end to our difficult circumstances. Some of us have the false belief that the reason why we are in our false circumstances is because we ourselves have been in sin. Joseph was living honorably. Joseph was serving God as he served these men, and yet he found himself still in prison. Look at what the first verse of chapter 41 says. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. I want to hang there for a bit. After two whole years. The narrator of this story again tells us, watch the clock. Look at how much time has passed. If this were an old movie, we might see Joseph sitting in his cell marking the days that have gone by in chalk or, or scratching the wall 
counting two full years. It's a long time. The narrator wants us to hold on for just a moment, to see how long he has been there. Don't rush past the time markers in this story. The narrator won't let us forget that time is running laps around Joseph. People move on, but Joseph is still sitting in prison for a crime he did not commit. How long, O Lord, we ask sometimes. How long will I be in this terrible situation? How long will you find a way out for me, O God? Some of you know this feeling very well. Time keeps passing you by and things aren't changing accordingly. That's where you find yourself this morning. I want you to hear this word as a word for you. I want you to see yourself in Joseph's own experience. Might God have a word for you this morning? Two whole years later, Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt, had a dream. In his dream, he was standing by the Nile River when out of the river came out seven cows. The cows were big and fat, the kind of cows that would make any dairy farmer proud. They came out of the Nile looking magnificent, feeding on the tall grass. But then out of the river came seven other cows. These were not big and fat and magnificent. They were thin, sickly cows. It looked as though they had been starved and mistreated. They came out of the Nile and stood right next to those plump cows. And then they opened up their mouths and swallowed up the healthy cows. Pharaoh was disturbed by this dream. He awoke, and then he went back to sleep. And then he had a second dream, and this time he saw seven beautiful stalks of grain. And they, too, were magnificent, full, luscious. And they stood there a moment in his dream, and then seven other stalks grew. And these, just like the seven cows, were nothing like the first set. They were thin. They were diseased. And the wind came and took the healthy grains. Oh, rather, I'm sorry, that the wind had, that had scorched these seven unhealthy grains uh, turned and all of a sudden those thin and dry ears swallowed up the full and beautiful ears of grain. The next morning, Pharaoh woke up and his spirit was troubled by these dreams. He wanted to know, what did these dreams mean? He wanted insight. He wanted understanding. He himself was searching in the dark and was unsure of what these dreams meant. So he called the magicians of Egypt. He called men who were experienced in dream interpretation, all of the wise men in his land, hoping that someone might be able to tell him what these dreams meant. But none were able to. They heard the dreams and they could give him no insight. They could give him no answer. And in that moment, the cupbearer had a thought. It was as if a light bulb had been switched on in his mind, and he remembered his own experience. And he goes up to the Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I remember someone in prison 
whom you might want to meet. Pharaoh, I dreamed dreams, and this man was able to interpret them. Perhaps he might also have insight into your dream. And so after hearing this, verse 14 tells us that Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Do you see the speed in which Pharaoh is able to make demands? He is able to send to prison. He is able to call back from prison. He is able to call for Joseph, and people will rush to his side to do exactly what he wants them to do. This is the most powerful man in the world. He is like a god, and yet even he cannot see what is happening next. He desires insight. He desires knowledge. He, too, is in the dark. And so he calls for Joseph and tells Joseph his dream. That's recounted there in verses 17 through 24. Pharaoh retells Joseph the dream that he had. And look what Joseph says to him in verse 25. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven ears are also seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will be seven years of plenty. Those seven years of plenty will be followed by seven years of hardship, seven years of famine. Joseph turns to Pharaoh and says, humbly, I I recommend to you that you ought to put someone in charge of your grain and livestock, someone who might be able to oversee the coming and going, the growing of your fields, because you ought to set some aside. A fifth of what is grown, a fifth of what is kept, so that you might be able to bless this land and even the whole world during those times of famine. Pharaoh looks around and says, I've brought magicians, I've brought wise men, no one has been able to tell me this dream. Who else but you might be fit for this job? And so, he places a ring on Joseph's finger and says, you will be my right-hand man. You will be my second in command. You will oversee these 14 years of produce. And whatever you say, my people will do. There will be only one voice more powerful than yours, and that will be my own. And Joseph is raised out of prison and set in a peculiar place there in Egypt. Joseph brings him a wife. Joseph marries. He has two children. And look what Joseph names his children. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Uh, he, He administered all of the grain and the production. And then he had two children. His firstborn he called, verse 51, Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of his second he called Ephraim, 
for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. We started off this sermon asking the question, what is God's plan during times of difficulty? Asked another way, what in the world is God up to? I want to draw our attention to two things we learn from this story. The first thing that we learn from this story is that God is working to preserve his people. Joseph learned throughout his whole narrative, and he will continue to learn this, that God was with him. Why? Because God is for his people. He loves his people and draws near to those who are hurting, those who are in trouble. He will preserve his people. If you keep reading along the story of Joseph, you might discover that in God's wisdom, Joseph himself is going to be able to preserve his own family, to bless his own family, the people of Israel, the people of Jacob, the people of Abraham. Here in this simple story, we see the way God works toward his people. God is working to preserve you. Now, I know that that insight might be too broad for some of us. I am not able to speak with such specificity as Joseph did to tell you that you will only be in your situation two whole years or You will experience seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, so buckle down, buckle up, ready yourself for that storm. I can't speak with that specificity into your life. What I can tell you is that God is always for his people. God promises to always be with his people. And in the final analysis, God will preserve you. I've already said this to you in the short time that we've been together, but that might look differently than what you might expect. It might come through pain. It might come through suffering. It might even come through death. But friends, as a church, we believe in the good news of God. That this life is not the only life that we live. We believe in a God who through his power raised Jesus Christ, our Messiah, from the dead. We believe that that power is also in us and God is with us and for us. So even if you are in prison, God is able to draw near to you. Even if your experience of suffering extends two whole years, God's love will be for you. It will not destroy you. God will draw near to his people, and he will preserve his people. The second lesson that we draw from this story, as we ask that question, what in the world is God up to, might be a bit surprising. In fact, this might be one of the most peculiar things we have to anticipate as we are in times of suffering. That is that, God not only works to preserve his people, he works to use his people. That is that even if you are in a time of suffering, even if you are in times of hardship, God is calling you to be his witnesses to others around you, to bless other people. 
Now, you might say to me, how can I bless someone if I am experiencing hardship, if I myself am depressed? God is calling you to be a witness. God is calling you to testify, even in your hardship, to bless other people. And friends, I don't just mean to bless other people with our words. To make proclamation of what we believe, that is one way we bless other people. To say, I believe in the God who has raised my Messiah from the dead. I believe my God will preserve me even through this hardship. That's one way we bless others. But we can also bless others by doing good works. That's what the gospel calls us to. There are two kingdoms at play here in this story. There is the kingdom of Egypt and there is the kingdom of God. Pharaoh, being the king of Egypt, was unable to see through the darkness. But Joseph, being a servant of the Most High King, was able to declare to him and to bless him and all of the kingdoms. Church, might I ask, is there a way that even in your circumstances of difficulty or blessing, is there a chance, might there be an opportunity for you to be sources of blessing here in Evanston, here in the Chicagoland area. One of the strange things about this story is that it comes to us towards the end of the book of Genesis, towards the end of the narratives of the patriarchs. Do you remember the promise made to Abraham, I will make your people a numerous people, and through you, through your family, I will bless the world. This is the first time that we see that blessing coming out. Joseph blesses the whole world through his faithfulness. Church, perhaps we, as servants of the Most High God, perhaps we are called not only to make profession of faith, but also to share our faith through our good works, through our good deeds, so that others might say, I don't know what God is doing here. But his church loves him and has faith in him and are serving us and blessing us. How might you be a blessing even through your difficult circumstances here in this area? As I was walking in this morning, I saw the sign of all of the small groups that are a part of this church. It's an incredible visual to see the places where there are communities gospel-believing communities, Bible-believing communities throughout the Chicagoland area. And one of the blessings of those group meetings, of course, is that you, you encourage one another, you read the scriptures together, you show hospitality to one another. But what if, as a group, each of you asked, how might we open the door to our meeting spaces? How might we look out to those who are members of the kingdom of Egypt? those who are members not of the kingdom of God, but of the kingdom of this world? How might we be sources of blessing in our neighborhoods so that we might be able to declare God is at work even when we don't see it, even when we don't experience it? God is at work to preserve his people and to bring blessing and renewal to this world. I want to leave us with a word of hope and comfort. God is at work in our midst. 
Friend, if you are experiencing hardship, God is at work in you. He is using those experiences to teach you, uh, to love you, to draw near to you. And he will preserve you. Be comforted by that word. Persevere because of that word. But I also want to bring you a word of challenge. Yes, God is going to preserve us, but sometimes he uses those difficult circumstances to push us out to serve other people and to demonstrate his goodness and faithfulness through declaring his goodness through good works. How might he be asking us to make profession, to make declaration, to proclaim God's goodness to our neighbors? to Evanston, to our communities where we gather together. Be encouraged, but also be on mission. Serve those around you so that as we wonder, as we are questioning what in the world is God up to, others might be able to see your witness, your testimony, and say, I may not have all the answers, But I understand that there is a God who is good and is working all things for his glory and for his kingdom. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in each of our lives. We thank you that even through difficult circumstances, we can see you at work. We can have hope and faith in you. And we can receive this call on each of our lives to bear witness to your goodness, to bear witness to our hope in you. We thank you and we love you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.